I I always thought you were very energetic. Yeah, and, and honestly, for you. as no, but I mean, as a student of yours, yeah, I and that's what actually kept me coming back was that you know this lady ain't just you know checking boxes and and going down the list, you know she actually wants to be here. And, and yeah, because remember, I, I thought you were also kind of a little intimidating too. You know, low, the material for me was was challenging. You were intimidating for me when I had you in the accelerated class because the um, it, it was challenging for me. Um, you said that, and I you that. did, mm-hmm. and I shared that with you, Leslie. Well, discussed- so yeah. she um, could appreciate that too. And what you need to know is that ninth grade—I don't know if you were with me for ninth grade—but ninth grade, we looked at Leon Uris's Exodus which was yes, a really heavy-duty read for junior high. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, when I first presented it to the gifted kids back in the day, it was the first time I had read it, and it blew me away. I mean, I had read um, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and taught that as part of a course when I was teaching in Colorado and the course was entitled Man Search for Meaning. And I mean, I I was blown away by by Viktor Frankl's book and then reading Leon Uris's and coming back to it now, what with what's going on with Israel and Palestine. I mean, it just breaks my heart that we have not learned a thing as a species. Yeah. But maybe we don't want to get into that right today. But what I do want to say to begin our podcast today is that I want to apologize to our audience because during our interview with David uh, on outreach, um, what do I want to say? Outrage Outrage overload. I was a little... I annoyed myself listening back to that podcast. You also did I some outreach too. Yeah, that's actually a good word. <laughs> I was so, I was really excited to learn from him. And I have to say, I apologize to my audience because I annoyed myself listening to myself talk ah. to him a little bit and interrupting him from time to time. So I'm just learning to be a, an interview here with you, Ross. And, um, Anyway, apologize. Apologies to my no, audience. Not, so. <laughs> not, uh, I, I, I want to, when David became a topic for us as a, um, as a guest, my first suggestion was to do one-on-one in the Be Inspired podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he would be very inspiring to a lot of people in Boyertown. And I wasn't certain where what your pool of guests came from. And it was then that you said you keep the guests as well from the general Boyertown area. Right. Or had have something more direct than just knowing a guy like me who is from the Boyertown area. So, you know, I wanted to respect that as far as your um, methodology of conducting your own podcast. And then you had suggested that he come on both sides now, which, you know, I was all too happy to do. I, I, like to have everybody from Yerg's radio on one of my podcasts at some point or another, because I've actually now been on everybody else's with the exception of one 
uh, the girls out in Greece, I gotta, I gotta sit down with, with them too. Uh, but I've actually been on everybody else's and, uh, my, your two dads is going to drop later this week or next week or something, something like that. I did them a couple months ago, but I would actually like to have everybody on mine also. So we've checked David's box. Uh, we need to do a one-on-one with just you and me, and it's just you and me, no other yeah, topics yeah. at some point. So I can, I can do that. And if we do that as part of up the middle and do it separate or, uh, um, here on uh, both sides now that's fine too but i'm rambling like we talked about before we started uh recording (laughs) my i sat back in that interview because i wanted to uh Mm -hmm. i had already talked with david and twice actually and um i wanted jane to be able to sit down with him because i knew it's i said to in that interview that what jane does with be inspired and what David does with Outrage Overload, the world needs. They just don't know it yet. You know, I traveled the world. I know that, yeah, we could make America better. But if you listen or talk to some of the various demographics in our country, it was never great. So to make America great again, for who? Right. The Jewish community? Right. The Palestinians that got uh, um, Biden over the top in Michigan, mm-hmm. the blacks, black and brown, people. yep, the yeah. gays. When was it great? Did, right. Yeah. Did so ever- so yeah, we got a lot of work to do, but now um, yeah, stop rambling. Now it's good enough. I think they get the point. <laughs> My intention you- was for the two of you to talk. End of story. <laughs> did I you need ever coffee? Watch- Hold on. Go ahead. Did you ever watch the TV program Newsroom? With, Is that kind of sort of a uh, comedy? Pardon me? No. No, it was with, and now I forget his last name, Jeff. He was uh, on Dumb and Dumber. Will Bloom. Pardon me? Oh, uh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff, Jeff Daniels. Daniels. That program ran for a couple of seasons right before the um, 2016 election. And if I ever had to live on a TV program, if it were ever real life, I would have joined and lived in the world of newsroom because it was absolutely, it was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And it starts out with Jeff Daniels in a, you know, in an auditorium setting with a panel of people and, you know, one of the audience members said something oh, like America is really I, I great. Oh, I know what scene you're going to talk about. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I know I know the scene you're talking about. I didn't, I've exactly. seen that so many times. I have no idea what the hell that's from. Okay. And he says we're not. And he goes through all kinds of statistics. Exactly. It's And yeah, the show yeah. from that point on is just brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. And the writing is absolutely brilliant. But uh, when you said, when have we been great, it reminded me of that scene and it reminded me of that program. But it's worth watching. I, yeah. I encourage our listeners to maybe maybe it's available on Netflix. I don't know. But I really, really enjoyed it. But anyway, getting back to David just a little bit, I have a few notes. Unfortunately, I didn't take enough. 
but I have a few notes. I really liked his concept of being a bridge builder uh, in yeah. this way of addressing outrage overload. And um, his suggestion to be the leader that you wish you had, which, you know, is certainly something worth considering. And in fact, <clears throat> on Facebook or somewhere this morning when I was going through my feed, there was a suggestion that, um, you know, at this point, it was a Snoopy and Charlie Brown uh, cartoon with the suggestion that at this point in my life, the the cartoon said, all I want is to be at peace. And I'm working on, the cartoon said, and I'm working on doing whatever it takes to remain and stay peaceful. And my response to that was, I'm not there yet. I just am not there yet. I am wish I were, but this whole election season really has pushed a lot of buttons for me. And I don't know that yeah. we're in, we want to get into that in this segment, in this recording, but um, David, David's suggestions, I think, were really interesting. I found the fact that he said something about, we used to believe that if we gave people enough information, that the problem was an information deficit. That's not the problem at all. Yeah, And he indicated that when different opinions take over our identity, that, that influence, not influences, takes over our identity and takes over our perspective, it's really difficult to change anybody's mind or anybody's perspective when we have become identified as as who we are with whatever, you know, whatever stance is um, being proffered at that particular point. And it made yeah. me, of course, you know, it, 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 it triggers some discouragement that there's no hope for really talking to people and coming to some kind of agree to disagree or some kind of consensus and some kind of, a uh, way to be civil in conversation with each other. It makes it, it makes it really difficult accepting, I think, the fact that maybe maybe you can't you can't come to that. So, you know, and then his suggestion also, you know, that that it's tied into our morality that our positions philosophically, uh, politically, are, are tied into our sense of what's right and wrong. And then, of course, including our identity and all that makes it really, really hard. And I, yeah, so I went back to Kohlberg, you know, in my reflection on all this, you know, and thought, okay, so Kohlberg, I, I think, the country has kind of reverted or portions of the country have have kind of reverted back to a level two thing. And I see, you know, the the current speaker of the House deciding that the IRS shouldn't be um, shouldn't be given any more funding to investigate the fraud that may be happening among the 
top 1% of our society, you know, it's back to reward and punishment, you know, um, what's right, what our morals are, or what I can be rewarded for. And in this culture, of course, it's a lot of, a lot of money that is our reward. But he talks also about smart people are the toughest. The smartest people are the toughest because they have the words and the skill set using words to convince themselves about whatever it is they have become identified with. And it makes smarter people more difficult to deal with, which again, I found a little bit discouraging. Your take? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the type that that's, you know, I was, as, as you were saying that, that I wanted to say this, I wanted to say that I wanted to say, and I'm, I'm like, wow, <laughs> there is, if you remember when the iPhone came out, I do Steve jobs and everybody was saying, if you want to do something with your smartphone, there's an app for that. Yep. And it occurred to me for everything that we're, every point we're trying to make, there's already a famous quote for it. And one of them is from the comedian, Ron White. You can't fix stupid. Oh, Ross. Yes. You're right. <laughs> and, and think about, you know, what, what you said about and what David told us about smart people. You know, I would have always thought that it was the smart people that are going to see. Here's the evidence. Here's the uh, stats. Here's here's the common sense. Donald Trump is not a good leader. Donald Trump is not a good business person. Donald Trump is not a good person. He would make an awful president. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's those commonalities that he's got with his base that got him there in the first place. Right. But the other right. thing is, look at the Catholic Church. For centuries, they never mm -hmm. allowed gay people into the constituency even though most of the upper echelon was, as my dad would say, queer is a $3 bill. Mm -hmm. Now the current Pope is of the impression that finally we are actually all God's children. It's not what he thinks. Attendance is down. He needs money. Right. He needs to fund. He needs, he needs to fund his legal fees just like Trump does. Because right. of all of his upper echelon being caught with choir boys. And I think what's going to happen is this moral thing for the people that don't practice it, like these far right ministers who are for Trump. I just saw an episode of something. I, I, I don't remember, but, but some sort of news thing about a guy in a, you know, Bible belt church. Methodist Church spoke out against Trump. Mm. He was fired that day. Right. And he detailed, yeah. just like we're talking about, all the ways how Donald Trump is not one of God's children or does not at least teach the gospel and practice God's laws. No, you're gone. 
It, I mean, yeah. it felt like after I, it felt like a game where I made a bad call and a manager came out to argue Yeah. and he said the wrong thing. So I had to throw him out. Well, if I would have made the right call in the first place, that never, never would have happened. But now I got to dump this guy because he dropped an F-bomb at me and he was right. 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 That's exactly what happened there. Well, that interesting. congregation made a bad call and they fired him anyway. Right. It, and like I said, it became pretty discouraging in assorted portions of our recording with David. The encouraging part, which I am kind of skittish about believing was when he said that they, he was surprised to learn that there's so much going on. And what he means is that there are so, there's so much going on in the opposite direction, in support of civility and in support of, you know, more positive things, in support yeah. of going against outrage all the time. And he said, I think he said, correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, the messages he gets, the research that he's doing, and I loved that he's doing scientific research as science is his system of belief, his religion, as it were, um, yeah. but commented that there's so much going on that he is being a little encouraged by that. And I certainly hope he is correct. Certainly the polls don't indicate that the majority of the country smart people or or others you know get what you said that trump is not a good businessman he's not a good person he's not a good anything it's see that's where i disagree that, that, that the fever hasn't broken is really discouraging for me so that's where i, I disagree right. I, I don't agree with that and i'll tell you why and you we talk, we you mentioned that Excuse me. Sorry. Um, we mentioned that with David, um, he, he had, he had said what you said, that the polls are kind of close. And I said, no, that's not true. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Remember a couple minutes ago, we said, there's a saying for everything. Yes. Money, money talks. Okay. Joe Biden is out raising Trump almost two to one. Why don't we hear about that? Because you hear about the polls that the media takes instead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and what do they do? They call the people that they know are going to give them the answers that they want. Okay. Okay. Fair and enough. that's why politicians started saying the only poll that matters is the one on election day. That's right. That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, let me just say, I hope you're right. How's that? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and I say it cautiously because, you know, I, the one presidential election I was wrong in calling, you know, which one that was. Yes, I do. And yeah. that was eye opening. It was shocking. It was disappointing. This is a guy who sat on election night 
at the moment that he began to take the lead and our now future first lady expressed her disappointment because she never wanted anything to do with it in the first place. Right. He was quoted as saying, and this is coming from a bit of a privileged position, but he was quoting as quoted as saying, don't worry, we'll never beat Hillary. Yeah. Now, is that who you want as your president? Somebody <laughs> who doesn't want the job in the first place? Right, but he wants it now. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He wants to be the next dictator. Oh, General right. Milley said it. All right. of his, all of his senior staff has said it. When he did the Muslim ban, and I'll, I'll put this in the show notes and in comments, but a link to a gentleman named Miles Davis. Um, no, Miles Davis is a musician. Miles Taylor um, was a senior staffer under then Secretary Kelly, John Kelly, Marine General John Kelly is actually, when you address somebody like that, you use the title, that the highest title that they've achieved, mm -hmm. which for him would actually be chief because he went on to be Trump's longest serving chief of staff. There's a, a gentleman that served under him at DHS that was one of his top advisors named Miles Taylor. This past summer, he released his podcast and is now on his second, has just released, I think, his second book. Um, I'm brain farting now. His whole podcast is what happens when you bring out the truth about Donald Trump. How Donald Trump hunted them down, and he was eventually one of them. Yep. And the lady that hunted him down was eventually one of them. She resigned on January 6th. He was told flat out by everybody, all the way up, Meadows, everybody, that the Muslim ban was flat out illegal, immoral, ill everything. Mm -hmm. And his exact words, do it anyway. Mm -hmm. That is not a president. That is a president that gets impeached legitimately, mm -hmm. like Nixon. Mm -hmm. You know, like for for lesser for a lesser crime, you know, like Clinton, but definitely twice like Trump. And anyway, anyway, yeah, it's so outrage overload, and what David was recommending, science based. Um, what cures for outrage overload included some you know what's happening or what's what's being suggested in a lot of different arenas you know meditation journaling exercise um how are you coming with your addiction to your phone that you mentioned in the episode um can't turn it off at night. I'm doing better at, at bedtime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm doing better at bedtime. Um, and I've gone back to taking a melatonin. Uh -huh. Sometime where I'm wrapping up being on my feet so that it better kicks in um, at, at bedtime. 
I'm trying to do it like right before I walk the dog for the last time. And, uh, that way I'm, you know, totally exhausted, you know, by the time I, I get back to the house. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with Jurg's radio and up the middle on both sides now and everything that I'm doing, you know, I, I get up, I back to getting up in the morning. You know, I, I slept in a little bit today cause I could, but cause I'm actually pretty caught up. I feel, um, I mean, the to-do list is always going to be there, but you know, for what I definitely need to get out with, with, um, Monday episode for this week, which by the time folks hear this will have already been launched of Jurg's tonight and that episode of up the middle, um, uh, some pretty decisive and I think damning information, um, it, th- th- this is a passion and I'm allowing it to be less of an addiction. You know, we're making plans to get the jet ski ramp fixed so we can get, get out on the jet skis. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at getting back to my gym that I haven't been to since May. Even if it makes, even if it means taking matrix to the neighbor is matrix, you know, having lost his buddy back in May. Right. Uh, he hasn't been the same. He hasn't been the same. Um, I, and I think, uh, I did another episode. That's a great question now that I think of it because it allows me to talk about this, which will be beneficial to everybody. Good. Good. I did a, a episode where I co-hosted with uh sport cat, uh, Glenn Jackson, uh, the host of the misfits and the host of the para or normal guys. We just did a special. I don't even know what the hell we're calling it. Uh, we interviewed a sergeant from the Walnut Creek Police Department who back in 2012 shot and killed a bad guy. And it wasn't until 2016 that he realized how much it negatively affected him. And, you know, to talk about, you know, passion versus addiction and and getting getting help and, and, and helping yourself, uh, he retitled when he wrote his book and in his speaking tour post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic stress injury mm-hmm. you were fine before that incident mm-hmm. or you were fine before the series as in my case the series of incidents started affecting your life and i asked him i said are you ever going to be better and he says i'm better now I'm forever going to be different. Mm -hmm. Just like when you break a bone and the bone heals, it's never going to be back to a hundred percent. And it's always going to be no more than 99%. And in the case of bones and healing, they get stronger at the place of fracture. Just like the toxic positive phrase that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. In the case yeah. of bones, and that's why, that, that's my why understanding a... medically. So you are yeah. stronger. Yeah, it would seem to me as a result. Oh yeah. Would you say? Yeah. Um, how? I'm not crying how in the exactly? middle of grocery stores anymore. Let's talk about that for a little bit. How exactly do you find yourself different and stronger since then? I'm not finding myself crying in the middle of grocery stores anymore. Um, I'm less worried about dating 
and more concerned about being social. Um, I, I see so many others who are all of a sudden, you know, in their fifties and, and are, you know, in a serious relationship. And I'm like, that guy, well, it's because he was never really looking for it. You know, he just let the social activities take the precedence and what happened happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's the best way. Um, as far as professionally, you said it yourself. I don't give a fuck who knows that I'm gay. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly how you said it, but, um, no, I don't <laughs> believe I did. Right. <laughs> uh, but with, in the secret service, I tried to keep that under wraps because I knew what happened, what ha- eventually happened, what happened. Mm-hmm. I knew in the good old boy network, they'd never accept me that way. And I knew there would be retributions for it. And of the three times I was investigated for that, two of them came during the Trump administration. So I don't give a shit. You were were investigated for your sexuality? Mm -hmm. Seriously. They try to make it like there's something else. Okay. And however minor... I mean, the the, yeah, the yeah. first time was during my time on the Clinton detail. That wasn't by the Secret Service so much as it was by one of my supervisors. He he went around blatantly asking other agents if they knew that I was gay. And two of them came to me and told me that. And one of them was, you know, kind of a, we'll just leave it at a known tough ass type. He was in tears. He was so shaken up by it and so so nervous for his own job security, which he was eventually ousted as well. Even for being though he gay. was no, he was straight. He's he's a okay. bit of a tattoo guy. Oh, okay. And, and and this is for me, this is kind of funny because I've got tattoos now also and I've got a sleeve down my left arm, and I'm just wondering, I'm like, you know, I can't go back and umpire baseball anymore. We've never had umpires with tats on their arms or visible tattoos. Interesting. This guy had them up his neck, had them on his head, and had them oh, on wow. his hands while he was still an agent. And so he had to wear a scarf, an ascot, and <laughs> gloves when he was out on uh, an advance oh, because they didn't want that being seen. Meanwhile, now he looks like some, you know, um, Hugh Hefner dude, you know, because he's got a sport coat and an ascot on. I mean, you might as well stick a, a tobacco pipe in his mouth <laughs> and, and and driving gloves. Who wears that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's stupid shit that we wound up bringing more attention to ourselves right. than what was necessary. But uh, he, so he's the reason why the Secret Service now has an actual body art policy. And the policy says there uh, will be no can't be visible, can't be visible tattoos or piercings okay. besides okay. Um, uh, societal standards to, you know, include the ears. OK, um, which was, you know, one of the th- cards I pulled on my very last protection d- assignment. 
I was standing post at Kamala Harris's house in, in Brentwood. And, uh, two days after the assignment, one of the bigger bosses calls me at home and says, Hey, what, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's up? You know, how you doing? Cause we knew each other when we were back when we were both hump agents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he says, brother, I love you, but you can't wear a ponytail on post. Like the site agent did, who was a woman. <laughs> Good one. And he Good goes, one. dude, are you really going to go there? I start laughing. And I go, Brian, you called me. <laughs> and he starts laughing. And he goes, here's what you need to know. That's probably going to be my last post-standing assignment. I'm not on the, the rotation list next month. And after that, I'm going to spend the rest of my career on vacation, whether you guys like it or not. Okay. And he, he says to me, he goes, the race is on because I'm retiring too. So basically wow. he was saying he didn't give a shit. He was told to make the call. And what happened was right. I was on a vehicle checkpoint down the street and she and her husband came out for a walk and they walked right past me. And so when something like that happens, you get out of your car, you know, you look alive and yep. you know, you'd be alert. Yeah. Well, she walked right past me. She knew me from before from post standing at her, at her condo in DC. Um, and from also at that house prior. And uh, she smiled and said, hello. And I could tell the smile was also because it was a bigger smile. Like she was kind of most glad to see the ponytail. As was her (laughs) husband, Doug. The boss walking right behind her, I could also tell was pissed. Because that's not how the big alpha male Secret Service agents comb their hair. Right. Right. Now. Fuck you, dude. Did you recognize your own feelings of trauma during the the investigation done during the Clinton years? Did it start a kind of a let's say I was paranoia? more scared then. Yeah, I, I was a lot more scared then, and that was actually the lesser of the investigations. During the Clinton that, that literally didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that I mean they they did shit to me that you know. I was just actually thinking about that last night was are all the other former slash small details the same way? Are they as petty as all of these supervisors were most as most of these supervisors were. Um, but yeah, it's, and the irony of that is that guy, that supervisor is retired to the Tampa area. So it's only a matter of time that I see him at a retiree event. Gotcha. Uh, and I, I'm, I, I, I'm, that's probably the biggest stress is what am I going to, or not going to say to him? Well, you'll have to plan. Um, right? <laughs> oh, and, and, and go through the script and all that. The other two, um, in 26, I don't know if he was actually one yet or, or, was about to or or won and wasn't inaugurated or was inaugurated. I don't remember. Um, but in 2016 or 2017, they tried to get me for a violation of the Hatch Act, which is well, where government officials cannot uh, accept influence. In, um, well, also, we can't influence. Like, I can't, while being a Secret Service agent, tell you who to vote for. Oh, okay. I'm a government representative. That's not democratic. 
yet it's okay for a bunch of the presidential detail agents high-fiving each other and and whooping it up every time he does some sort of asshole speech. Right, right. But every time I say something positive about the Obamas or the Clintons, I get a talking to. That's part of the Hatch Act? It's part of the it's part of the environment in the workplace. Oh, okay. Uh, it is part of the Hatch Act, actually. You know, your behavior on the job, period, okay. uh, cannot be of an influential nature. Um, but, uh, like, I always thought, too, that I couldn't even do as much as put a sign in my front yard. And during the course of that investigation, I learned that I could. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they, I found that there was, um, you know what Twitter is, right? The, yes. The, the social media platform, Twitter. There's yes. another one very much like it called Tumblr. And because it's not as popular, um, because it's not as popular that they're, they're a little less stringent on the community standards. Okay. So there's, there's more porn on it. Oh, okay. This investigator showed me a Tumblr account that was quote unquote mine. That was nothing but gay porn. And I said to her, I said, well, would you like my phone? She says, what do you mean? I said, ma'am, I don't have a Tumblr account. Because they were saying that this account was active as were my pro Hillary comments active during the time that I was on duty. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that's great, but I don't have a Tumblr account. And when you get the IP addresses, you'll be able to see that. Because I promise you, it was not from my Wi-Fi network. She said, that's what I thought. We get this a lot. Okay. I said, but you don't get it for the Republican favorite agents, do you? She said, I can't answer that. Right. Right. That must have been a really tough time in your life. Yeah, because I was in a, I was in, not a supervisor, but I was in a leadership position at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I was in what's called the operations center at the Washington field office. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, it's like a dispatcher just mm -hmm. for the DC area and all the agents from the Washington field office and some of the other details, uh, is like a dispatching, you know, service. It, it's, um, uh, it, it's like our situation room of sorts. There's TVs all over the wall with all kinds of different news programs on, uh, closed circuit camera feeds from the White House and from wherever, um, and radios blaring and not for, you know, the classic rock station, but, you know, different frequencies that we're using. Um, and, uh, you know, I was the, I led a team of agents that led that room. So of the shift leader types that led the different factions that are represented in that uh, dispatching room, there's one journeyman level, worker B level agent that supervises the whole room. I was that supervisor of the supervisors. I use that word just to give you an idea of the authority I had. All that being said, I had an actual supervisor that was working with me. So I was not a boss, but I was a team leader. Mm -hmm. 
Gotcha. If, if that makes any, if that makes any sense, oh, you know, yeah. just like, just like, just yeah, like your teams at, uh, just like your teams at junior high West yeah, back yeah. when I was there, you were on a certain set of teachers yeah. and that, that, that team had a team leader, but he wasn't your supervisor. The vice principal right. was. And yeah, then so, as an English teacher, there were supervisors of English teachers. And then yeah. the, there were supervisors of the supervisor of, there was a supervisor that supervised not just English, yeah, but yeah. all of the curriculum. Hierarchies yeah. exist, but you anyway, it must have been a very stressful. Must have been a very stressful, stressful time. Stressful time in your life. And then, and, then, uh, then there was the third one at the end of his administration. Oh, that was pretty much okay. like, okay, you know what? They're not forcing me out, but they're not. They're not giving me any reason to stay. Okay. When I can take home sixty thousand dollars a year to not come here and deal with this shit, right? That's what I take home after taxes, being in Florida, nice. and not paying state income tax. Nice. I'm making more not working than so many people I know, so many households I know with two jobs. Yep, for sure, absolutely. Yep. And I love hearing people say, uh, um, "Crystal was one of them about how bad the economy is." I took a 35% pay cut and I'm finally putting away money. Mm -hmm. you know, tell me how bad the economy is mm -hmm. just because you suck at managing money. <laughs> Very good. Well, I would imagine well, that we are past our 30 minutes here. Am I right about that? I we are. keep saying I'm going Exciting to put episode, a though. timer on, but um, I, I have but one here to... and I suck at watching it. I have one right here in the amount of time that we've been recording and I oh, suck good. at watching. Well, I'm glad I, one I, of us I, does. I, no, I, I suck at interrupting you or myself. I see it. I know we're up to almost 42 minutes, but you know, it, it was been an exciting and energetic 42 minutes. So I think there we'll keep them. Well, we do have a good time and we do exactly. enjoy catching up with one another. So, but meanwhile, I'm getting stalled. I'm yours. And this is and Both Sides Now. Both Sides Now. All right, everybody. See you in the next one.